Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello and welcome back to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice. This week we're going to be breaking down season two, episode three, called Whatever Works. Per IMDb, the plot synopsis, the murder of two beat cops outside their jurisdiction immerses the team in the Santaria religion, while Crockett tries to recover his repossessed Ferrari. And we open this episode on the cop car in question. And we see some imagery posted around. And you can also tell that, like, this was a personal job. This was not a random hit. Because you see basically, like, a metal curvy spear through a hand and through a tongue. So this is personal. And while the Vice Squad's there kind of investigating, wondering what's going on with the clues, Trudy is able to give Castillo a little bit more background information in this next clip. Out of the jurisdiction. According to South Beach Dispatch, they call it in on a code seven. Got tired of the same old chow. It's an execution. Police like organized crime. More like organized religion. Dun, dun. Obviously, he's saying organized religion because he's seeing some of the weird paraphernalia that they're not as familiar with. But Castillo and Tubbs, as he mentioned a little bit in Milk Run, is a little bit more familiar with the Santeria. So hence the organized religion, not organized crime. And oh, a little bit of background info. Code 7 means out of service to eat. So calling in a Code 7, I guess, kind of like going on break and you don't really have to give your location. So they might have just gone somewhere out of their jurisdiction to get something to eat. Maybe they were invited by someone somewhere out of their jurisdiction, which probably seems more likely. But who knows? As they're still in the scene, two other cops show up and they're pissed that nobody saw anything, getting really hot-headed, not getting along with Vice at all. And these, we find out, are the South Beach cops. And obviously that doesn't really go how they planned, you know, getting hot-headed with someone investigating the crime is not going to go the way they wanted. Uh, So we can already see the friction kind of being set in motion for this episode. And then let's revisit with Tubbs, Trudy, and Castillo as they talk a little bit more about Santeria and what this might all mean. I think it is. Why are they killing cops? Who? You guys want to tell me what you're talking about? Santeria. And then, so we segue from that spooky, serious music once the Santeria of it all has been revealed. Go into the intro, and then we open up on the episode with Crockett on his cigarette boat while a beautiful girl in this gorgeous sequined it's not really like a top it's kind of like a t-shirt top i really liked it with a v-neck uh so basically she's kind of grabbing stuff off the same fight of stands asking if it's his he could not be more willing to get rid of her he's like no keep it it's yours blah 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 she's really trying to get through to him in this super cringy scene that I'm going to play you next. I left my number on the pad by the sink. Good. Perfect. You going to call me? Yeah, I'll call you. I mean it, Sonny. Please call me. I'll call you. I said I'd call you, didn't I? You're never going to call me. Yeah, I'll call you. Oh, never's a long, 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 long time, sweetheart. 
Oh, girl, that is so awkward. <laughs> and while she's making her way off the St. Vitus dance, a gentleman we've never met before is making his way on the St. Vitus dance, basically introducing himself as a police administrator, looking to raise more funds for the force, all things that sound good. And as Crockett is picking up the piece of his wild night in, including a bikini top and a pizza box, <laughs> which I took a picture of, you can see in the gallery, uh, just kind of like an overall ode to Crockett's life in that one picture, just minus Elvis and I guess a bottle of Jack Daniels. So they're talking a little bit more, basically saying that they want to raise money, Crockett's all for it. However, the conversation shifts when it is revealed what they want to raise money with. And spoiler alert, as we all have heard in the intro, it's the Ferrari. And so naturally, Crockett pushes a lot back on that idea. He is not really keen on that idea at all. And however, the police administrator does bring up the fact that it's not his property. It's part of his cover, thereby provided by the police department. It's not in his possession at all, really. It is loaned to him, so to speak. So after they push back a little bit, Crockett finally relents and tells him to go get the keys from downstairs in this next clip. Forget it, Izzy. It's all down here in black and white. All right, go on below. The keys are down there on the table. Thanks. On the other hand, setbacks is a very natural part of life, which you've got to be very careful how to respond to. I have cope. Elvis, want a little dork meat for breakfast? So naturally, be confronted with an alligator would make you question your choices too. So the guy kind of runs off, you know, basically gets Crockett off his back gets off of the marina. But in this next scene where Crockett is talking with Izzy, who was interrupted at a very opportune time, as Izzy is known to do, I want you to look between Crockett and Izzy sitting on the St. Vitus dance. You can see it on the gallery. You can see the Ferrari getting hooked up to a tow truck. And it took me a couple watches to actually get it. I was like, oh, that's so smart. So like you already knew the wheels were literally ha 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 in motion for this deal before he even stepped on. So the police administrator has him a lot more leverage than he thinks. So as much as he'll let Crockett think that Crockett won that fight, far from it. So Izzy is there for information and naturally as our favorite informant is. He gives Crockett the name on a guy or like a lead on a guy who might have a little bit more information about who murdered the cops. And it's at that time that he's telling him a little bit more information, some names, is that he realizes that the car is getting towed because the police administrator kind of shouts out to him and be like, ha ha ha. Not in that way. I forget what he says specifically, but basically that, you know, the police administrator has won this fight. So... That's going to be awkward because the next scene in the precinct, Crockett is freaking out at Castillo. He's super mad because that car is part of his cover. Also, which I think they didn't really touch on, Miami is a very, not the easiest city to navigate by public transit. <laughs> so I get it. They could have given him a car that was a little bit less flashy, but I understand if he is undercover as this dealer, he has to have a nice car to go along with it. Tubbs has a nice car, something that kind of, shows to them that he has money to protect his cover. However, all of Crockett's tantrum is for loss. Nothing changes. He's not getting his car back. 
Zito and Swartek make some joke that he can borrow the bug van anytime as Tubbs and Gina laugh along in the background. And Gina looks gorgeous. She's wearing like a full length, um, I don't want to say an A-line, but it's just like a very beautiful dress cinched at the waist with a tie. It's kind of like a mint green seafoam color. It looks amazing on her. Go Gina. She doesn't really have any speaking lines this episode, but she still looks like a million bucks. Crockett takes off with Tubbs to go follow the lead that Izzy gave him. So Crockett and Tubbs pull up to this house, both looking very fashionable, by the way. Some beautiful suits, looking a hot like a million bucks. Everyone's looking like a million bucks so far in this episode, gotta say. And they see a group of guys washing this car. They're looking for one particular guy, Orville Rivera in particular. So they kind of basically say like, hey, we're here for Rivera. They all play dumb. Once they show the badges, things take a turn for the worse and huge shootout right in the middle of the day, right in the driveway. And so after backup arrives, all the guys end up getting arrested. They're all being held inside the house that they kind of do a little bit searching, seeing what else is in there. They do see Santaria paraphernalia and cocaine. Castillo goes upstairs with Crockett and Tubbs to explore a little bit more seeing figures and what have you, the mask, the candles. So we get a little bit more of a background as to what's going on. How should he feel about cops? He's a dealer. Yeah. But he's not a cop killer. If he was, he wouldn't have surrendered. There's more to this. That's what I noticed, too, because when I saw all the guys get handcuffed sitting inside the house, I was like, okay, they may have fired at the police, but they didn't actually intend to take anybody out. They probably just wanted them to go away. So what's really going on here? And before we actually talk a little bit to Rivera, Castillo kind of breaks down some of the meaning of the symbolism of the religion. For example, he explains that the black and white candles mean vengeance and that the white candles symbolize fear. So it is interesting that there's a mixture of both of those feelings in what has happened here and what has transpired. And so when they do talk a little bit more to Riviera, he spits on them, talks about dirty cops, So there's just something weird in the air. But again, not a cop killer because he did surrender. So there's obviously a ton of animosity there. So they want to get a little bit more information. Castillo brings them to a priestess who lives in this gorgeous white glass blocked house. She's very beautiful, too. She's wearing like a gold wrap on her head, white dress. And that voice, that kind of like kiddenish young voice with a very weird accent that you can't really put your finger on. That's Eartha Kitt. That is the second Catwoman. Julie Newmar was the first. So we have a legend on our screen, folks. And not only is she there to bless us with her beautiful face and her beautiful voice, she's also here playing a high priestess to give us a little bit more background into what's going on and what this really means for the big picture. This killer did not feel that his victims were men of the law. They were hunted down like bad animals, evil spirits. Criminals. Yes. And she's able to decipher this from what they bring from the scene to her. And she's basically interpreting it for Crockett, Tubbs, and Castillo, which I think is very interesting. So at the end of that, when she tells them that Tubbs suggest that they pull their jackets. Castillo, knowing that there might be a little extra heat on them and they don't want to bring any bit more 
any attention to the fact that they might be looking into these South Beach police officers just recommends running a credit check. And as Crockett and Tubbs leave the house, they make a little joke about her possibly knowing what would happen with the Ferrari. But Castillo stays behind to get a little bit more information, a little bit more guidance from her. The killer would not have asked for consultation before he acted. If he did, he would have been advised against violence. So you're looking for a man who is willing to defy his gods. He is out of control. I do appreciate that they put this in here. I have historically not always loved the way that Miami Vice depicts other religions. And I do appreciate that they are making a point to say that it is a bad actor who would not be supported if he was open and upfront with his religious leaders about this idea. So I do appreciate the fact that they're making a point to say that there are bad actors everywhere and anywhere and that it's not just limited to what have you religion. So I will credit the writers of Miami Vice with that. And then so the next day, Crockett and Tubbs pull up as Tubbs is driving his coup de ville with Crockett in the passenger seat. And as soon as Tubbs steps out to go run that credit check, Crockett gets antsy. He wants the keys because he wants to go check on his Ferrari. So first, let's go to, with Tubbs and do the credit check. I did take screenshots of the computer screens trying to decipher what they were saying. But unfortunately, the zooming capabilities on my computer, maybe if I open up in Photoshop, I might be able to do that so I can try that tonight. I couldn't really make out what they were saying, but it is a nice little blast from the past, especially looking at you know the computers that we have now, our phones, and to looking what was the technology of that day, which I thought was really cool. So when, as they're running the credit check, there's not really anything out of the ordinary until you look a little bit closer because you're not looking for what's missing you're looking for what's happening if you get my drift so basically as Tubbs is looking over their records he's noticing that they're maxing out their credit cards every month and paying in full and this show has spoken multiple 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 times about how little cops make so the fact that they would be able to support their families, max out their credit cards every month and have it paid in full, that's what brings the attention. It's not so much the missing payments or what have you. It's what they're getting and what they're not. And it's for what, how they're not impacting their credit score as opposed to what they're doing to impact their credit score, which I think is very interesting. I wouldn't have caught that on the first glance. So it does show you the type of very qualified and smart detective that Tubbs is. And so with that, Tubbs is able to take that information that they're obviously getting paid from something and somewhere. They're getting extra funds that are not appearing on their paycheck. So Tubbs has that information. Crockett is a little bit less successful with his endeavor, his endeavor being trying to get his Ferrari back. Once we pan back to where the Ferrari is being held, we see Izzy dressed up like a Yacht Rock King with the striped blazer and the little captain's hat. Basically, Izzy's story is that he is a very wealthy man who wanted to protect his identity and not reveal that the Ferrari was in fact his at the marina. All this seems fishy because you know who else it seems really fishy to? <laughs> Crockett. A Crockett arrives just like a matter of minutes before Izzy receives these keys. Pushes him out of the way, pushes him onto a drum set then storms outside trying to find the car. The police administrator is kind of freaking out a bit because turns out 
A lot of things have happened in those few days since he got his car repossessed. And this next clip will explain it. It should only take two or three days to dry out. Maybe four. If you didn't hear those little meows in the background, it's because Crockett's got a little litter of kittens in his car. Very adorable. That's obviously going to be the cover art for the episode is Crockett holding up the two cats. And uh, Izzy just has to interject and be like, oh, you know, those are two females. <laughs> Last thing Crockett wants to hear. <laughs> you know, he doesn't care. <laughs> because unfortunately, so the police administrator was not able to work the top. He was not able to cover the car. So it's already been like damaged left to the elements, left to the storms, and now full of feral kittens. <laughs> so Crockett did not have as lucky a day as Tubbs did, unfortunately. And so with this next scene, we're back at South Beach. Remember that this is a different jurisdiction. South Beach is a separate city. So it's a different jurisdiction. So we see a very surprising thing you would never see on ocean. Two douchebags <laughs> in a Porsche. <laughs> hollering at girls. Well, I do appreciate what this scene is the music, which you'll see in this next clip that I'm going to play. So remember that the cops are already a little bit skittish and they're a little bit on edge with these cop killings. So they don't know if it's targeted. They don't know if it's random. So keep in mind that is unfortunately the feeling in the atmosphere. So these two cops see these two kids in this white Porsche kind of acting like regular South Beach douchebags run their plates and I'll let this next clip speak for itself. Car's clean. Yeah, man, what clean? But there's something in the car. And this is not surprising at all how this scene ends. So basically, as we know, there's nothing. Plates are clean. Car's clean. They pull over these two kids. Kids do have a submachine gun in the car. They get nervous. One of them stupidly reaches for the gun. They both get blown away by the cops in front of like full on packed South Beach, like people everywhere around this car. Like it's it's wild. So that scene ends naturally unsurprising because, again, like Sio said, that all cops are going to be on edge until this case is solved. And he really wants to bring order and peace back to the streets. So this kind of stuff doesn't happen. And so this next scene, Crockett and Tubbs are driving to a cop bar, which you'll see it's not a cop bar at all, but you'll see why there's a little cameo in there that makes it more of a nightclub. And they're talking more about this case and the dirty South Beach cops. Bad cops, Rico. There's nothing lower. They're smart enough not to buy anything flashy, but they couldn't help but get straight with what they had out. Where there's two, there's more. That's what the computer said. I know where to find them. And so we go visit this nightclub, discotheque, and I want to play for you Crockett and Tubbs' drink orders. Hey, Crockett! What's going on, dude? Hey, JT! Hey, what's happening, Chubbs? How are you? Change of climate. What's it gonna be? Blackjack. Virgin Colada. All right, and the reason I wanted to play that, obviously, naturally, I'm a bartender. So I was like, Blackjack shot? I've never heard of that. It can't be that gross. In my head, I was thinking it was Jack Daniels with Johnny Walker Black. Blended scotch with Tennessee whiskey. Perfectly fine. No, this... (laughs) I looked it up. Jack Daniels and Black Sambuca. (laughs) 
So I don't know if this was all over Canada, but this basically when I was in college, I learned that a snake bite shot was tequila and Jack Daniels in the same shot glass. In the States, it's a little bit different. I believe it is cider with a stout. So very, very, very different. So I remember someone once ordered a snake bite from me and I'm like, it didn't, didn't just didn't seem like the time or the place to be ordering two straight liquors that completely contrast each other in taste and style in the same glass. So I remember I was asked, I was like, oh, the shot? They're like, shot? No. Cider was stout. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not from this country, blah, blah, blah. Blackjack, that is disgusting. That is disgusting. I'm not surprised. And what's actually more interesting is that Tubbs ordering a virgin colada, which is extremely annoying to make because it looks like they have a blender too, whereas I just make it shaken by hand. Because Philip Michael Thomas in real life did not drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, gamble, and I believe he didn't even eat meat. So, teetotaler. And I really respect that they kind of wrote that into his character because it's true, you never see him smoke, you never, and he doesn't have any hot dogs. Remember when Crocker was eating hot dogs in that um, one episode? So it's just, I really like that the writers stay true to who Philip Michael Thomas was and that Philip Michael Thomas didn't bend on those values during the filming of the series. And then the other point I wanted to make to this scene, I was like, JT looks very familiar. And then as soon as he opened his mouth and he was British, I was like, oh, Duran Duran. I was right. It is John Taylor from Duran Duran. So Power Station was like this kind of super group akin to now, you know, we had like Audio Slave, what have you, Velvet Revolver. So Robert Palmer was actually the original lead singer. He left after Live Aid and then Michael DeBar came in. And I also noticed Michael DeBar looked a lot older than the rest of the guys. And it's true. I just looked at Michael DeBar. He was born 1948. He would have almost been 40 when this episode was airing. And then naturally, John Taylor was born in 1960. So that makes sense why there's a big discrepancy in age. And I know John Taylor's wife because she was uh, the founder, the co-founder of Juicy Couture. So I was like, oh, yes, I definitely knew that fun fact. Then there's, I don't know, maybe I'll say this for Rice Team and we'll just say it now. But Michael DeBar and Don Johnson are Eskimo brothers. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, so but they've had a good friendship and that's actually why they were invited on Miami Vice. So kudos to them. And kudos to my homegirl, Pamela DeBar, because she knew how to pick them. Good for her. And as we're talking at the bar, talking with JT, quote, things never change, which I want you to keep in mind for the rest of this episode. And in fact, the entirety of the series. Message. And so with this, this beautiful blonde girl comes up. So happy to see Crockett and Tubbs. Ask for a dance. Crockett basically recommends Tubbs go out and dance. So... I took a few gifts of Tubbs dancing because you can tell that he's kind of keeping his eye on Crockett as he goes over to the South Beach cops table. And there's a reason why. There is definitely a reason why Tubbs knew to keep an eye on him. And it's just like his kind of funny dancing because he's not really looking at this beautiful blonde in question. He's kind of looking out to the dance floor. I was like, past the dance floor to the table. I'm like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Because things escalate pretty quickly. Where did they get the juice to run up their credit cards to the max every month? Never miss a payment. What are you saying? Calling Rainy and Lockhart dirty is like calling all of us dirty. That's right. 
Also, no surprise there, a fight breaks out. Tubbs, who's also been keeping an eye while he's dancing, obviously runs over, helps break up the fight along with the bouncers. And as Crockett and Tubbs are leaving, I will also add they are dressed very debonair with Crockett in a blue blazer, pink undershirt, white pants, Tubbs in a gray suit with a pink tie. So it's kind of nice that they're matching, but not too matchy-matchy. Crockett, still frustrated, knows that they're dirty. Then we cut to a boat where some of the players that we've already seen from the house scene where they had that shootout when they were looking for Orville, they're fighting and we get a little bit more intel. And then I want to hear what you guys hear during this clip because I want to say what I think afterwards. These are cops. They took my son. Nobody, nobody touches my family. You gave them the money, they brought him back. That's business. What do you want? We all have family. I put family first. I'm not a a whore like you, Miranda. Come on. (laughs) Did you all hear, quote, I'm not a whore like you? Because that's what I heard. So we get a little bit more intel that the cops took his son returned him after he paid the ransom. So things are just a little bit deeper than how we thought originally. And so with this, we go back to the lovely priestess, played by Eartha Kitt and Castillo, and says that there's a man that'd like to meet with Castillo, and she warns him against it, but he actually is ready to meet him. He wants to restore order to the streets. And then with that, we cut to Tubbs driving along. He pulls out a cassette tape. Kids, ask your parents. Puts it into the car. Starts blasting. This actually, it's kind of a cool song. What's the name of the song? The song is called Dark Night. And the band name is The Blasters. And how fitting on a dark night. So as Tubbs is driving along, he sees cops in his rearview mirror. And he sees that he's being tailed. Pulls over. Gives them an earful. In this next clip. I like that he throws that out there. And then this scene is wild. Please go look at the gallery because I've included a lot of pictures of this scene. So Castilla goes to meet with a guy that the priestess told him about. And (laughs) it's like full ritual. I have no idea where he got the permits for this. There's open fires, there's animals, and there's exotic animals. Like we have like a very cute exotic monkey that's pink and up, sorry, not pink, black and white. You get a snake in there and something is definitely going on. So I'm assuming this is another, maybe a Santeria priest. So just wild. Please go look at the pictures. And the Santeria priest is shirtless with this giant tattoo on his back. He's doing a ritual, maybe a killing. You see something kind of happen in front of him, but you only see the back of him. So you don't really know what's going on. Castillo is dressed in full white. He's ready to meet him. And so they meet face to face with a full face of makeup. Like he has his makeup on and everything, not Castillo, the other guy that he's meeting. And Castillo gets a little bit more of an explanation as to why Davila has this vendetta against the police, the South Beach, the South Beach police in question. So he gets a little bit more explanation in this next clip. I want to know why he killed them. They kidnapped his son. Why? Money. What else? For six or seven months, the South Beach detectives have been making trouble. Most of us look at it as a price we pay to do business. So many officials are being paid now, as we both know. But Davila wouldn't pay. So they beat him in front of his wife and took his son. 
The gentleman also asked Castillo to arrest Davila. So taking all that information, the motive, what went on behind the scenes, he goes back to the precinct and Castillo explains that internal affairs are handling the dirty cops and that he wants to take Davila on the streets. And then he pulls Crockett aside and explains that he was able to get his Ferrari back. So we do have some good news. And as that, the next scene, one of the dirty cops arrives at his partner's house to find out that his partner and his wife have been tied up and killed. Finds the symbols, finds the paraphernalia, takes that with him. Then we see Crockett and Tubbs doing some surveillance in a utilities truck, which is really funny because they are completely not dressed for it. They're not in uniform. They're in, you know, like their undercover gear, dressed in a nice suit. Crockett still missing his Ferrari gets a little bit sentimental. I mean, what more could a guy ask for? Climber's gig, great people to work with, tropical sun. A partner with the Ferrari Jones. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll admit it. I've been a tad distracted, not to mention bitter, caustic, and angry. But who would want to work with a partner? It wasn't a little bit sentimental. I mean, if they called you back to New York, I'd feel exactly the same way about you. Well, the difference would be negligible. Gotcha! Worthless bumps! Excuse me, lady? You have some nerve! I cut that clip because she tends to go on and on and on. Basically, she's rightfully pissed that in her eyes, the utilities workers are not doing anything, even though they're trying to, you know, they can't really explain that they're undercover, but they basically kind of try to basically tell her, no, it's not what it looks like. She's mad because her bill last month was $267 in 1985. Today's dollars adjusted for inflation, $267 would be a $735.18 bill. So she's rightfully pissed. So that kind of gets interrupted once they get the call that the cop that they're after, the dirty cop, has made his way over to Davila's house. Surprise, surprise, shoot it occurs. It's a very gorgeous house on the outside, very 80s, not as tacky as I would have liked it. Naturally, this shootout happens. Once they get to the cop, he, they, they can feel a pulse, so they know he's alive, but he's in pretty bad shape. And he has this metal arrow figure that he's obviously taken from the scene where he found his partner. And naturally, to end that part of the story, the giant shootout occurs in front of the house that I mentioned, which I did take a picture of. It's on the gallery. So that story's kind of neatly wrapped up. We don't know yet what's happening to the cop, but he's still alive, the dirty cop in question. And I guess internal affairs will handle him. So now let's wrap up this episode with finding out what happened to the Ferrari. So as Castillo already told Crockett that he was able to get the Ferrari back, handing out all the necessary paperwork and what have you. But... Crockett still doesn't have the keys, so it's not really wrapped up for him. So they go, it's a Friday, and as him and Izzy, because Izzy's always there, looking amazing, he's my choice for fashion wild card, in this electric blue jacket. They go harass him with papers in hand, basically say they want the car back ASAP, the police administrator brushes them off, freaks out, says, no, 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 it's Friday, I gotta go to my car, I'll deal with it on Monday. But that's not good enough for Crockett. Release forms, insurance waivers, bill of sale, birth certificates. Not to mention the wildlife license. Is that a threat? Are you threatening me with that thing with teeth? 
could be arranged. <laughs> oh. Well, not that you mention it, I'm sure your papers are in order. Right there, man. Just stand right there. And, uh, see, and there. So those papers are all fake, by the way, but they basically surmise that by the time he notices the fake papers, that the real papers that Castillo has mailed will already arrive. So basically, they haven't really done anything that wrong. They just expedited the process by their own hand. And with that, we end the episode. And so let's wrap up this episode of Vice and Easy with some Vice Tea. John Taylor, as I mentioned, member of Duran Duran. Not really a whole lot of vice tea on his end. However, I did love his wife because his wife was the co-creator of Juicy Couture, which is, for a teenage girl growing up in the mid-2000s, a very pivotal part of my life. <laughs> and then, I guess the more interesting person actually wasn't even on camera. So as I mentioned, Michael DeBar was then the lead singer of Power Station, who was performing at the... Uh, the nightclub in question. His wife, Pamela DeBar, actually has a far richer history than we give her credit for. Her memoirs, I'm with the band, and her other memoir, I escapes the name, were the basis of Penny Lane and Almost Famous. She was known as basically like the world's most well-known groupie. Let me read you some of her former paramours according to her Wikipedia page. Don Johnson, naturally, and then her husband, Michael DeBar. We have Waylon Jennings, Jim Morrison, Mick Jagger, Jimmy Page, Keith Moon, Woody Allen. Girl. <laughs> I, was, I was with you. I was with you up until that last one. <laughs> she seems to have a very cool, eclectic life. I want to say that I read I'm With The Band in high school. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I'll put that on my reading list. But now she actually teaches creative writing classes, so good for her. Oh, fun fact I just read, she was actually the babysitter for Frank Zappa's children, Moon Unit and Dweezil. Super cool. Super cool lady. And now let's get down to fashion. Best dressed man. This is a little tough. I really want to give Izzy the wild card, but I think I also have to include him as the best dressed man when he's meeting with the police administrator in the striped blazer with the little captain's hat. I really appreciated that. And then I'm going to give him a wild card for his blue jacket at the end. And he has a shirt with kind of like a little puffy collar, not like so much the Seinfeld puffy shirt, but just looks very debonair and very handsome. So I'll give this to Izzy. Aside from that, I also loved Crockett looked great this episode. I really liked when him and Tubbs were both wearing different shades of pink and both pulling them off very well. Oh, I guess I should have also given wild card. Maybe this is, I'll, I'll split the wild card with the, with the Santeria priest when he's talking to Castillo, who's dressed all in white and also looks fabulous. Now, best dress ladies. This one is much easier because all the ladies in this episode look amazing. Naturally, Eartha Kitt with the white dress and the gold turban and Crockett's one night stand in this silver kind of t-shirt the sequin silver t-shirt. I really liked her look too. She was a beautiful girl, but I guess she wasn't meant to be with Crockett. And then let's wrap this up a little bit. Let's talk about music. So obviously we have the live performance of Bang & Gong, Get, on, Get It On by Power Station. Okay, song. I like Some Like It Hot better. I think that is with Arnold Palmer. Oh my God, <laughs> Robert Palmer. <laughs> 
you know, you've been bartending too long when. And the other song that was playing in the club before they went on stage was Vice by Grandmaster Melly Mel. Then we also have Sharp Dressed Man by ZZ Top, where the kids are driving the Porsche down ocean before the shootout with the cops. And then Dark Knight was a song that Tubbs was playing when he is being tailed by the South Beach police. So all those songs, all equally interesting, all interesting, all good. I think I'm going to have to give it to Sharp Dressed Man. It was a really great use of that song. Everyone looked amazing on the beach scene too. So I think that would be my number one. Number two, I'd have Dark Knight by the by the Blasters. Three, I'd do Bang and Gong. And then four, I would do Vice. And it's funny, when I was doing like the research for this episode, I was like, oh, this episode's kind of a little bit weak. And then I realized why. So next week, we're going to be really getting emotional, really be getting into it with Out Where the Buses Don't Run. Um, I've already cried three times <laughs> rewatching the episode and grabbing media for it. So I'm really looking forward to that one. That's going to be a little bit of a juicier episode to dive into. And I'm really excited that you guys are going to join me on that. And thank you as always for listening. I'm sorry this episode was a little bit shorter than normal, but next week we'll definitely make up for it. Again, if you're curious, want to follow, want to share some love, feel free to leave five-star reviews, subscribe wherever you can, wherever you can find me, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher. Don't forget to check out the gallery. Don't forget to follow me on all things social advice and easy podcast. Thank you so much again for listening. I'll see you next week. Where we're going to cover out where the buses don't run. And as always, Hey man, Miami wise is number one, new show.